This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, our guest is Mr. Jeremy Huerta. Jeremy, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So as we do with everybody else, just so they can get some flavor, tell them who you are, where you came from, how you got to where you are, where you are today. Ooh, okay. This is a... And I will tell you that Ryan Keating has set... Uh, I will will tell you, Jeremy, that um, you're going to be safe no, no matter what your background or how long it took you to get to where you're at, I think that Ryan Keating's got the world record and it will never <laughs> ever be broken. He messaged as far as jobs. Producer. Dude, he messaged the page today and asked if he like named a company asking if that's where you were, Kyle. And I wrote back and said, no, it was Quill. And then he rattled off. Well, I was on the merchant services side for such and such at one point. And I'm thinking, Oh, was he talking you, about Sidcore? Yeah. 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 He yeah. said, I'm thinking to myself, you spent 20 minutes naming all of the jobs you've ever had in your career, and I don't even remember you saying that one. I vaguely remember him talking about merchant services, but um, yeah, like that's, I, I so asked that's Jeremy, that's I asked funny. him, I asked him in the middle of the pod, like in the middle of his explanation, I said, "This sounds strikingly like Forrest Gump. You have literally <laughs> been everywhere and done everything, from working in a cherry orchard to." working as a cotton candy vendor for the Padres. Like this guy <laughs> yeah. just, he just kept, he just kept going. I love the dude to death, man. But I was just thinking if you can't sell insurance with that amount of background where you literally should be able to find common ground with, with anybody. anybody, usually yeah. Kyle's busting my chops because I've got a story for everything right. or I've, I, you know, I've, I've experienced a bunch of different stuff. Keating has me beat hands down. <laughs> hey, uh, it's experience right i don't have that much experience this won't go into where i came from but two of the best jobs I probably had worked at a surf shop in turtle bay in north shore hawaii and then i was a chef it sounds like a pretty high stress environment culinary training at a mexican restaurant in the north shore of hawaii um so uh nobody ever came into a restaurant i think we had one one customer come in in like two months but right across <laughs> From right across the street from the restaurant was the Pacific Ocean. So I mean, one of the best jobs how, ever. 
how, how does the restaurant stay open if they have one customer every two months? They don't. He actually had a shutdown. Everything got shut down and he brought in his camping grill like for the last few weeks for us to cook on. <laughs> but I'll tell you now, Kyle, we had a lot of churros. Oh, lot. churros we are the best. Carne asada tacos that I took home to my roommates at night. So, um, It sounds like it was more of just like a hangout versus a job. Yeah, I mean, it's a... <laughs> It was it was ideal. Last time I, I really cooked though, besides ramens for my kids. So um, I'll give you a rundown real quick. Grew up in Idaho, moved to Washington years ago. Um, so that's why I have an office up here because um, after I went to college, uh, maybe one thing Ryan didn't do that I did. I went to five colleges, right, which most people laugh at. So I might have him beat on on that aspect, but. Um, <clears throat> After I graduated from Arizona State, moved back up to Washington. Hang on and, a second. Did you just keep getting kicked out of college or like what? Or are you like Van I thought you played basketball in school. I, I, I did. I'll tell you a little bit about that. But, uh, well, I'll tell that now. So I, I played in high school, right? And I had, I had some opportunities to go play at small schools. But um, my senior year, I decided I was going to go on a, a mission for my church. So I, I went to a, a church school to prepare for that. And I I chose that instead of getting ready to, to play um, or to play in college. So when I came back after my mission, you know, I went to school for a year and then three years is, is just that love and passion didn't leave me. So I ended up playing at a junior college, community college up here in Washington, but it was very difficult after taking three years off to get back into shape and get into the grind. Um, Very hard. And I ended up, my first year back from my mission, I tore my lower abdominal muscle. Oh, so I hadn't played in three years, tore my lower abdominal muscle that whole year. You know, my, it, it was just my first step wasn't the same. I wasn't as quick. The body wasn't the same. And it was too two, hard. Two to guard, play. three guard. What? Yeah. The, U, the UTEPs, the UTEPs two step was gone. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I played and I had a chance to play longer, but um, it's kind of like now is my, I can go out there and my mind see things better, but the body just isn't the same. So I'm with you. um, I played in a men's league um, two summers ago, almost died, could barely make it up and down the court. (laughs) I mean, and I was like, I played in high school all four years, was in fantastic shape, played a little bit in uh, like intramural stuff and and whatnot in college at USF. But dude, it's um, the struggle is real right now. It is. I, I played in high school and I could have played small college as well, but I chose to play baseball instead. And really because I realized that as much as I was able to bounce people around the post in high school, that wasn't going to happen in college. Like I would have had to have gone out and been a, a shooting guard or something. And while right. I was able to shoot, I was never going to get any playing time. Your How in the world trash. did you, my sh- dude, my shot is still <laughs> no fantastic. Way. I, I guarantee you I can shoot better lefty than you can shoot with whatever hand you are. Okay. Well, that's fine. I'll let you continue to think that and I'll bet you money on it at some point. Deal. How, how did you tear your abdominal muscle? Doing lunges. Oof. So I tore mine. I, I, I think that I tore it. If I didn't tear it, I severely pulled it. And it was the dumbest thing ever. I was on Getting one out of, of bed. The, no, I was on one of those crunch machines where you have you hook your legs into the yep. bottom yep. and pull over the top. And it was right before baseball season, my senior year of high school. 
And the cheerleaders were working out at the Y where the baseball team was also working out. And so I had this bright idea. I would just climb on this thing. I don't know if you heard me counting. I did over a thousand. <laughs> yeah. I just pegged, I pegged the rack of weight, man. And I was like, somebody count me off here. <laughs> like, I got like four in and like I cramped up. And for like three or four weeks after that, it was just like I was perpetually being stabbed in the stomach. It was really. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, it, it you. It is hard, and especially so. I played my first year after I torn it, but you know, even going through rehab and all that after taking three years off, it, the body wasn't having it. It just wasn't having it. So, you know, hoop dreams went down the drain. But uh, from there, that that I guess propelled me to one state after another. Went to school in Utah. Went to school in Hawaii. Went to school in Arizona. But I always had a plan, okay? So my parents were very supportive. Obviously, my dad's like, I would move places. I would rent a place and not even have a job yet. And that's kind of backwards with him, which typically it is. But I always had a plan. I, I knew it would take me somewhere. I just didn't know where. I um, I moved places and signed leases without having a job and had no plan, actually. At one point in my life, I moved out of my parents' house after um, I was, you know, I, w- I went away to school. Things didn't necessarily go the way they were supposed to. Um, grew up in a very conservative home. I liken it similar to the Amish when they leave for their year in the wild to sow their oats. I did that. Um, and then when I came back, I decided that I was going to move back up to West Virginia from Florida. I left. I had $500 of cash in my pocket. My rent of $350 was due, $360 was due on arrival, and I got a speeding ticket for $200 on the way there. So I was cash flow negative before I ever got there, had no job, was in one of the most repressed economies in the country, like couldn't believe it that uh, I was actually even able to find a job. But I worked at the finish line in the mall for four and a quarter an hour all day. I would go home and sleep for three or four hours. And then I was the night auditor at the Comfort Inn in Morgantown, West Virginia for $4.75 an hour. And I'd go home and sleep another three or four hours and then be back at the mall the next day. I really wish that I could tell you that I gained professional experience from that that helps me today, but I didn't. The only thing I learned from that is I did not want to live for a prolonged period off of the uh, ShopRite 10 for a dollar boxes of mac and cheese. I knew we were going there. Every time. I knew we were going Velveeta on them. Well, no, Velveeta was on payday. I know. So it was 10 for a dollar for the ShopRite brand. And that is probably like there's got to be some type of cancer caused by that product <laughs> at this point. But uh, we moved to Velveeta on payday. And if it was a really good payday, we got ground beef and an extra pack of plain pasta noodles. And then we would thin the sauce with or I say we it was just me. Uh, I would thin the sauce with water to make it last for a couple of days um, after so the foul. fact. But, You've never lived. Listen, man, if you've never lived like that, if you have never had to live like that, and I didn't have to, I chose to. But if you've never lived like that, you don't appreciate. I don't think a lot of people appreciate what they have today. No, I wasn't. I I wasn't mature enough to know the difference. Yeah, no, I was eating. I was eating ramen and I mean, dollar menu stuff from from Wendy's (laughs) every day. Whatever. 
what are you the aristocracy you anymore? Huh? Oh, you don't eat that anymore? Ramen <laughs> I can't. I actually did have some. My my wife was craving ramen when she was pregnant and bought like a whole shit ton of it. So we had it in our pantry, and I went down there drunk one night a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh yeah, ramen. Yeah. Well, so here's my question: like, when did ramen actually become expensive? I know inflation, man. It's crazy. Like, I, I, like you, you guys, any you guys attack. have. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about these restaurants that serve yeah, it. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like 20 bucks a head to go get noodles. Yeah. Hey, you can doctor ramen up. I know people that do it. Um, yes. If you haven't seen it before, I would... Um, Just put ground beef in it and thin it with water, right? Auntie Fee on YouTube shows you how to feed a family of seven for $3.50. If you can get past the language, it's absolutely genius what she does with the ramen and all of that. It's crazy. That's mine. Well, I would say, unlike yours is, you know, not everybody that wanders is lost, right? So it might have been like I was wandering to others. And I don't know if I learned a lot. I met a lot of cool people, you know, got to go to different schools. Maybe I became a, a little bit expert. I could have been a college counselor. But one thing that I always stuck to that I was going to eventually work for myself and do my own thing, right? So even though people are saying, what are you doing? Why are you switching schools? Why are you going here and that? Like I said, I always had a plan. The plan was just stick to what I felt was what I wanted to do, right? And I think um, it's, uh, especially at a young age, it's difficult at times if you have these dreams, goals, and aspirations. Because as you get older, it's like, you know, I got to get a job. I got to pay bills. I got to settle down. And you lose those hopes and aspirations that you had when you were young, where you feel like you can accomplish anything. So it it was a good experience, though. So how did you get to where you are now in insurance? I mean, there's got to be a way to connect these dots. There is. So I finally finished up fifth school, went to ASU, got married, um, missed my family. So I moved back up to Washington, had various jobs like at YMCA. I couldn't even get a job after I graduated at the Nike outlet. They said I was too qualified. Uh, Ended up up, uh, working as a basketball trainer, got back into basketball and ran a, uh, helped run a girls division at this basketball facility. Um, and I just, the writing was on the wall. I wanted, you know, a big family. I wanted, um, a lot of kids that wasn't going to pay for it. So my brother had been working at an independent agency. Um, they just hustled dealerships. So I got licensed, um, started working with him, started hustling dealerships. And then after 10 months, um, you know, partnered with one of my best friend's dads and, and opened up uh, heritage insurance, what it is now. So when you say hustling dealerships, I assume you mean auto dealerships selling car insurance to people buying cars? Yeah. I mean, we, we each had our own geographical area and we just go out there, pound the pavement, right? Take cards, candy. And, um, you know, non-standard to Washington is different than other states. Um, it's, I would call it like upper echelon non-standard. Um, versus where, you know, I have an office in Arizona and it's different there. So people are buying minimum limits, but comp inclusion, right? So you just build these relationships. People go out, they buy a car, the salesman puts them on the phone with you and um, you write the policies. So, you know, at the time, it was like 2006, you know, people were getting um, loans, whether their credit score was 460 to five, whatever, right? Because they had those credit um, lots that target those people. So, you know, we'd write, I don't know, 70 to 100 policies a month just from these people. 
Wow. Kyle, my, my buddy, Happy Brian, um, was actually in that non-standard lending. That was his job. Oh, and okay. he, he literally he literally was printing money, and all he did was take donuts to finance guys at car lots. That's and very he would he does not see he does not seem to fit that mold for me with my well, interaction with him. That's why he is now sarcastically happy Brian. He right. was actually happy Brian back then. Okay. <laughs> now he now now he's been resorted to not doing that anymore and works much harder to to make his money. But yeah. It all makes sense he, now. Yeah, it, he um he did that for a while. So Tell us a little bit about heritage, man. I mean, you're that's not what you're doing now, right? I mean, it's, it's got to nope. have morphed. Nope. Yeah, it morphed. We we started expanding in other states. What was great about that is I could hire people in other states, and they just go market, and then you know you have these agents selling out of the home, out of their homes, you know, seven days a week. So you just had to be available. Um, but we gave that up. I don't know. It was a few years ago, maybe four years ago, just because it was it was a lot of it's a lot of grind. It's a high turnover, but not even on the sell side, on the service side, you have a whole lot that's going with that. So, you know, transition from that a few years ago, we got out of that. And really for honestly, as you, you and I have talked lots of times, I'm always honest is for a couple of years, you know, we, we really didn't have a, a way of driving in business consistently like we did with dealerships, right? We'd worked with captives and different things, um, so it was, it was finding our way for a while because I have to, whether the sounds are good or bad, I, I got to buy into it, right? Like there's agencies that will still work with dealerships. I just didn't want to do that anymore. There's agencies that just work with mortgage brokers and that's great, but there's a lot of caretaking and a lot that goes on with those relationships. So whatever your niche is, um, me personally, I got to buy into it. It's something that I'm going to want to do and I want to be involved with, right? So it it took us a few years. And now we get a lot of um, Google reviews. So we drive a lot through Google. You know, we've started doing stuff um, more with Facebook and YouTube. And um, that's, that's where our future is and where we're looking to go. Because I like, this is what I loved about dealerships. I love volume. Like volume excites me. If I was going to go watch a game, I'd rather watch two teams that that score 140 points than they slow it down, mm-hmm. you know, on scoring 80 points. So, what so, kind of niches are you working in now? So, um, a lot of our niches now. We so we just write a lot of standard package business, right? Um, the everyday people, but we're working now to refine, um, you know, how we go after those people, the psychology of those people, where are they shopping, you know what messages are um, they wanting to hear, what's going to bring them in, right? And then on the commercial side, obviously, we're, we're working with David to um, go after, you know, cyber and the liquid gas propane industry there. So I'm probably not on your here. website. That's got it. That is that's something just ge- geographical out there to, to the Seattle area is the petroleum and the, and the propane and everything or not really. And actually I got real lucky. My, one of my best friends has the largestly private held liquid gas propane. They're, they're the largest LPG distributor in Oklahoma. Okay. And um, travelers has a program for, or they did, but when we quoted them a few years ago, their their propane percentages were higher, so um, travelers didn't like that. Hmm. So he essentially went to his company and said, "Hey, this is my best friend. I want him to be my broker. Um, if you don't appoint him, <laughs> we're going somewhere else." Nice. 
So we happened to come across, you know, a very good appointment. And, um, you know, we haven't done much with it for the last couple of years. So that's where when I met David last year, you know, I started picking his brain and and just talking to him and and knew that he would be able to help us out because I I don't have that experience. Right. But we had we had things in place. We just needed some direction. And I don't care if I know everything. I don't want to know everything. I'm going to find people that are better than me, right? So like yep. with commercial and our commercial producer is like, David rolled out that program. I said, hey, I told Chris, is like, this is it. You know, I believe in David. I believe in what we have. Um, he will be better in helping us build this out than um, either one of us. So it's interesting, you know, when you're talking about the, um, like the niches and, and tying yourself to the dealerships and stuff, because. I just, I have a hard time placing any trust in other people to be the revenue stream for my agency, you know? Yeah, I've got channel partners that refer me business in, but I've always looked like, I've always looked at that as if that's just the gravy. You know, I've never stopped going out and working the the deals and hustling to try and and generate stuff organically. (laughs) And I think that, um, I would be really nervous if I was in that position where I was a hundred percent dependent on the auto industry or or anything else for that matter. Just because, what happens if that dries up? I mean, there's yeah, no exactly. diversification of risk at that point. The- oh, absolutely. Look at right now. Like I, I, um, I just acquired another agency a month ago in Phoenix, and as I was, you know, I've been up to the office driving back past these dealerships. I mean, I've thought a handful of times is I'm so glad that we're not in that hustle anymore because for that very same reason, but also is um, I just don't want to baby relationships, right? If I get a good product and we've always done a good job, I don't care if somebody walks in and they give you more candy. I don't care if they're better looking. If you don't respect that relationship, that's just not something I want to deal with. So I think uh, those went hand in hand. I think the other the other aspect of that too is you know that you're always you can always bet on yourself like you you know you can't always rely on somebody else like you said Dave I mean if that if that dries up then what if you're just relying on stuff coming in from other people and you don't have the um you, you know the activity there or, or the the drive to do the cold calling yourself or whatever then you're going to be in a bad spot. Yeah, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about your acquisition, man. I mean, you have the, you kind of have an interesting setup to me. How did you end up in Phoenix in Washington? And then number two, you said the other agency you just acquired is in Arizona as well. Yeah. So real simple, five kids, nine months trapped inside insanity in Washington. So uh, literally is we've been up here. My family's up here. You know, we, we, um, that's probably the hardest part in moving, but I just like the sun and as, as crazy as it sounds, I don't care as I'm, Obviously, if I, you know, I went to five schools, I like to just move and go places. I like to be free, right? And um, I love driving in the desert and you just can see for miles. Like I just, I feel free, as weird as that sounds. Um, And I love the sun. You know, we're outside. When this COVID hit thing, we went from, we're in California, we went from spring break and then we came home and it was like spring prison because you found out it was like five months of summer. So uh, we, we've been outside the whole time, hanging out. I just love the desert. It's pretty. Um, so we moved back. 
we we knew we wanted to move back there you know a few years before we left in 2016 so i started looking to acquire organic growth it is good and it's hard and we still do that but um i wanted to expedite that so i started looking at acquisitions so um i bought an agency in scottsdale and um that that made it so i could move and still build a business right instead of just working from home and then um you know over the last few years of of bought and sold a handful of books you know right now i'm actually there's um i'm looking at two other acquisitions you know over the next two months so um what are you looking for when you're looking at acquiring i'm looking for multiple things but that others don't like to be honest with you so um because of my non-standard background i learned how to make money and um, there's a lot of opportunity there and it scares people, right? So I bought, you know, two agencies I bought the last few years. They had all paper files, no management system. Um, they had, um, you know, not the best markets, um, just a lot of work, right? So if you see someone going and they buy a house and they fix up, it's just like it's one of those houses where you got a foundation, but just so much work. So really, Kyle, I like to I like to buy agencies that are that are smaller, where um, I can build a relationship with the owner um, a lot better than a big broker or bank could, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that people aren't interested in, right? Who wouldn't want to go buy a a book of in personal lines where it's you know package business and the retentions. 85% and, and you know, they're with some of your top carriers. Well, everybody wants right. that. Right. So I like to buy what other people really don't like from a standard agency um, point of view. Right. Because we don't write that really, but I, that's how I grew up in the insurance industry. So, so I understand it. How do you go about integrating that into what you have now? It's a good question. So I actually, I actually sort of agree with you in that it's probably easier to integrate somebody who has nothing than somebody who has systems and everything already in place. Right. And some of it, uh, why it's annoying, and I think people stay away from it, it's hard. Like it's a lot of work. So when I went in three years ago and we bought our office in Scottsdale, even though it was, you know, the business was great, they'd been there 20 years, you know, good carriers. Um, we had, I couldn't even tell you, like, it was a nightmare. I saw file cabinets, right? Like this one I just bought, this whole wall two times is all boxes of paper. <clears throat> when I started, I was paperless in 2006. But you go in and I think it's, you just, you look at when you're evaluating it, where where are the easy fixes? And does that align with, with what we do, right? So when it comes to a management system, if they don't have one, that's simple because you, you're not really efficient. So now we bring in our management system and that's easier for the everyday people, you know, CSR's agents to use. When it comes to company, I actually look for I look for agencies where I want to go in and cut about half the markets because I'm going to bring in markets that um, we have relationships with and that I know are, are going to grow with me. Right. So if I bought something in Georgia, I have companies where I wouldn't have to question if I went to them and said, Hey, I need to extend my appointment to Georgia. If that makes sense. Um, it's different each one. Like this one I just bought, 
is different than another one I'm, I'm looking at right now that I'm trying to, to close on. So what do you do with all the boxes? Do you event, do you try and get that stuff scanned in and organized in some way, shape or form? Or are you just like take no. it all and put it in the quote unquote file room and hold on to it in case you need it? Yeah. Good question. So we, we scan it all, but, but there's, there's a strategy to it, right? So like right now in our current one is we're just scanning everything by month and we have it in, <clears throat> you know, in the cloud. So if they have to go back and look for something in 2018, it's going to be a pain going through a thousand pages for January, but we know it's in there. And really, I don't know how people can risk not having it paperless because if your office there catches like a, a fire, right. Or, or there's, you know, pipes break and, and there's a flood or something happens, you know, I mean, you're, you're in bad luck. So we scan everything. We get it all scanned and we just put it in the cloud. We don't, Put it in the management system because that's just too much work. You you got to say, you got to ask yourself, what what's worth the time and money, right? If it's all in the cloud, then we'll spend the time searching through stuff if we have to. So um, it just it just depends, but we we get it all scanned right away. How often do you actually have to go back and refer to that stuff though? Um, for the agency in Scottsdale, we did quite often because it was a really business, yeah. Um, we did quite often. Um, the one now, it just depends. It's this agency is predominantly Spanish speaking, right? So, um, there's still a lot of newness to it. We don't know, but I always keep the main person on when I acquire, if, if it's not a book, right? So I'm looking at a book to buy right now and I'm looking at agency. When I look at an agency, I keep the main person on, I keep the name. I try to keep it uh, the same as possible and just take our our model and go in internally and change things. So how do you brand all that? That's difficult. It took me, um, it took me three years to switch um, our branding up in our Scottsdale location because it was classic insurance. People knew classic insurance. It was a father and a son. They did a great job. I mean, this, this will kind of sum it up when I first bought it and we were going through some of these files is they had a floppy disk in there that one of the insured sent as pictures to their home, which was on one end, it was like, this is ridiculous. But on the other side, it was like, that's, that's how long this client's been with them, right? Is um, they've had them for 20 years. So um, those clients, it was a little bit harder. We took a few years and then we, we just recently branded it. Um, and partly too, because I sold my office location up there. We, we didn't need a location. Um, some of these other ones, you know, it, it's, I don't know if I will. So I, I keep the name. Um, we market that way. Um, it's, it's always different. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't found a, I haven't found a set strategy to do every time because I bought one a couple of years ago. We kept it, the agency name it was, and I ended up selling it three years later. So, you know, it wouldn't have benefited me to brand it. What's the average age of these? Oh, wow. Um, interesting. So uh, now that I think about it, it's a good question. Um, the one I'm looking at right now, the guy's been there like 30 plus years. Um, they're all 25 plus years. Now that I think back to the last four agencies, uh, another book that I bought had been in insurance for a long time. had been probably like five years, five to 10, I think. 
I've always said that if I do make an acquisition or I start looking to go down that road, it's always going to be that kind of older 25, 30 years in business probably has some dusty corners in it. I, I also think that if I was looking at it, looking at an agency to acquire, I would be looking specifically at what contracts they have that I don't have. Um, a lot of main street agencies have good appointments with carriers that are difficult to get appointed with now, mm-hmm. like a Westfield or a Cincinnati or one of those. Right. And that doesn't mean you get to keep the appointment either. Cause I've seen, I've been part of organizations where we've made acquisitions and I was a, an equity uh, participant in that. And we didn't, we didn't get to carry the contract. They, they denied it. We met with them as we were doing the deal and they came back and said, yeah, we just decided we're not going to, we're not going to keep the contract in place if you acquire. Oh yeah. I had that happen. I had a deal. I was closing on in Washington. Everything was, was good. This company was struggling. It was the biggest part of the book. And, um, I mean, we had, we had it ready to go and funded and they came back and said, we're not extending the appointment. Right. So Hmm. that's why, as I've looked at it now, um, I'm a little bit different for personal lines. I'm happy with my carriers. You know, the direction we've gone is we want carriers that will do the service center. I I don't want the servicing internal. Everybody's different, right? Some people want to have that control. I don't want that control. We're in sales, you know, and we take care of our clients, you know, we have a unified purpose. We compete for individuals' peace, but that also goes back to as a business, what's best for you, right? So I look for, I guess, agencies that don't have good contracts so I can bring mine in. Huh. It's like the complete opposite of what you were just saying, Dave. <laughs> Different. Right. No, no, but I mean, I understand. I understand what he's saying. I mean, that yeah, makes- absolutely. That makes perfect sense. I mean, no, it's just what it's, it's just interesting the two different perspectives. What I'm hearing is you run lean, right? You've yeah. got you've got like your set group of carriers you're going to run with. You know that you can trust the service centers at those carriers, so you can go in make an acquisition. I heard you say, and you can correct me at any point if I'm wrong. I heard you say you keep the main person because you need that main person, but then you have the ability to wipe out staff if you need to wipe out staff because you're going to outsource the servicing needs to a service center that you might give up a point of commission. I don't use service centers right now because our book doesn't really blend with a service center. Um, But I'm assuming you give up like a point of commission or whatever, as opposed to having salaries, benefits and all of that stuff. And uh, you, you can immediately make an impact on the um, profitability of an agency that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's once again is what I'm, what, it's taken me some time. And even after we stopped getting out of dealerships, you know, I felt like I was wandering, but I'm, I'm fine because once I find what I want to do, that's the direction I'm going to go. But I'm not just going to do something um, because other agencies are doing it or maybe, you know, companies say, here's, here's the next way to go is I, I got to buy into it myself. Right. Like it's, um, we've talked, we've talked a lot is what you see is what you get. If you tell me a joke and it's not funny, I'm probably not going to laugh at you, not to be rude, but it's, that's just how I am. So the business has got to be the same. It's just, it's got to be the same. So yeah, we go in there and what we're saying is we have, we're comfortable with what we have. Basically I'm saying this, I have my five guys. I'm confident I can go to my pickup game and compete against your five guys. Makes sense. Yeah. No, I agree, man. I think it makes a lot of sense. So talk a little bit. I mean, this is not where I necessarily, number one, I'm learning a whole bunch from you, man. I didn't realize you were like in this whole acquisition thing. Um, 
That's interesting. We, we've never talked about it. I think every time we've talked, it's either been about cyber or liquid propane or whatever. So it's cool yeah, to hear. Mark, I just listened to you. I try not to ah, talk. Whatever. Murder me. Whatever, man. See, I'm not laughing at that joke. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. I can barely see it through your beard, though. Um, <laughs> That's right. You need to get, you need to My get that favorite episodes are when, are when you get beard shamed. Oh, I know. Well, Jeremy's got a solid goat going, and my goodness, you look like Gentle Ben or Grizzly Adams or whoever. Hell yeah. That is, Kyle, that's horrendous. I wanted to grow a beard. The only way I've ever grown a beard is on those beard apps, right? And I put it on myself, and I just sit and look at it and be like, man, that'd be so nice. <laughs> so I was growing my beard out last week or the week before. I literally went two weeks without shaving. You could barely see that that had happened. That was two weeks, huh? More importantly, it was pure white. Like, I'll never not shave again at this point because I could not believe how white my facial hair was. It was crazy. I'm used to the poly walnuts from Sopranos look <laughs> yeah. on the on the well, sides dude, with just, the white and the black down the way middle. Down. I get a bunch of white. Yeah, I don't have it on top though, man. I mean, if it was equal, I wouldn't care. It's just kind of I look like a badger or a skunk or something. Um <laughs> But anyhow, what I'm interested in is, is you're going through and funding this stuff or going through to, and making these acquisitions. How do you go about the funding? I mean, I'm, I'm interested in that part of the process because I do think there's something for Kyle and I to learn here as we grow Florida Risk. There's a very realistic possibility that when I decide we'll finally get serious about personal lines, that it'll be done through acquisition, not organically. Yeah, um, well, and it's just, it, it's back to that volume thing, right? That's what excites me. So, um, if, if we can turn volume organically, but also through acquisition, that's just what, what keeps me going, keeps me motivated. I, I like that. So, um, <clears throat> one thing I, I read an article a few years ago, I had no idea. And I was talking about how business owners, there's so many business owners that don't, um, really protect their credit. And, and um, realize that, that that's a huge benefit, right, in what you do. So luckily, I've always done that. Um, SBA loans are, are what I do. It's very difficult. Um, but once you get approved, you know, you're approved up to X amount. And there's certain guidelines that are, or protections you have where, you know, if you were going under, the bank can come in and just take your book and all this stuff. I'm not much of a details person, to be honest with you. Um, but all of mine have been SBA. There's, there's been some, um, I'd say private money for individuals or, uh, acquaintances that I have friends, family, whatever that, um, like some of the stuff that I've been doing. Right. But it's all been through the SBA and right now, which I'm sure you're aware of the reason why, you know, I just closed in June. So it's, someone might say, well, it's not really smart to try to buy two more in the next two months, right? Like you're really leveraging yourself, but the SBA is waiving their fee and they're making payments for you for six months. So that's, that's free money. Right. So if the books look good um, and the SBA, you know, is, is waiving their fee, then this might sound bad too. I leverage the heck out of myself to get where I need to, to be. But there's risk. There's risk. But I also, you know, look at, at the, the potential and, and it's a sound decision there. But you got to find a good bank that that 
my friend's company that we insure in Oklahoma, his dad was very, you know, was built a very successful business. And he told me years ago when I was out there just doing a, a site inspection, he's like, Jeremy, one thing you need to have is you need to have a bank that understands your business and that you can go to if you need to acquire things or if you need a loan or something. He said, whatever the case may be. So um, that's been my goal the last few years and, and bank I'm working with now, I, I feel comfortable with them. You know, I just had a call with my banker yesterday and I said, I know I just closed. I got two more deals. You know, can we make this happen or is it crazy? And she's like, Nope, sounds good. Let's make it happen. So I feel I finally have that last piece where you have a bank that's there for you. And once, once you start doing deals and they see that you're successful, then, um, I just think there's more leeway, right? So I've got... Yeah, and I mean, the thing is too, at least from what I understand it, I've got a really good relationship with a local community bank here that's got about eight or nine branches. I don't have any debt as the agency right now, um, but these guys make all the decisions in-house. So while they have the ability to do the SBA piece, I think it gets really interesting when... And I don't... this is going to sound bad, but I don't mean it for you as much as I mean for me. I would have to go. We have we have no credit as a business right now. I don't borrow money from anybody. We've been 100% self-sustained on cash. And I realized that I have to do something to change that going forward because as we grow, I want to add real estate to the balance sheet you know, and buy the offices that we're out of and all of those other things. And I look at the SBA as a stepping stone. And when you know, my goal would be, pop a couple of deals and make sure they go smooth through the SBA and then graduate from that and be able to have more traditional lending or just a flat line of credit where I don't have to worry as much about jumping through all of the SBA hoops to get the deals done. Um, oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a, it's a pain to be honest with you, right? It's a pain to issue certificates for that, man. <laughs> yeah. That's why I've gone and I've gotten some outside, um, you know, investment, not like private equity, but just from individuals. Right. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, my goal is you you um, you find a bank that will lend like that. The problem with our industry, though, is um, there's no tangible assets. So if you're just talking about a book, even though. You have this client list and it's generating income, some of them just don't get it right. Like Chase Bank, I've talked to them. They, they don't get it. It's like, what does it make sense? There's there's there's. If I stop selling, you still have all this income coming in. It's a client list. You have you have people and all these policies, but um, I agree with you. That's ideal because it, it just makes it a lot faster. But I'm not willing to do that now because we're talking like it could be 10, 12, 14%. I talked to some people and, and they're going through loans and I mean, the interest rate's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the good part. I've got a good relationship with the CEO of this bank and- he understands what I do and I know that he'll help me because he's only told me about two dozen times, you know, when you're ready to start borrowing money, I told him, I like, I'm a horrible client for you, man. I'm going to ask you to hold my money and I'm not going to give you any interest, you know, for, for letting me borrow any. And so I, I just know that as we scale, that's, that's going to have, you know, that's going to have to happen. I'm interested in this, man. You know, you obviously, you and I have similar values as far as family and, spending time with our kids and work-life balance and all of that. 
Kyle, you should see the wicked slow-mo videos of the lightsaber fights on his trampoline. Uh, nice. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's epic. And you're, um, while normally I have beard envy, I think I have waterfall envy from his pool, man. This guy looks like he's his backyard was built by Lucas Lagoons from Insane Pools. <laughs> oh, I, I love, love that I, guy. I love that show, man. I love that guy. He's, he's from – yeah, you know, I was um, feeling good about myself, and I told my wife when we redid the pool last year, I'm like, I'm going to call Lucas Lagoons and see what that looks like. So I go on his website to book an appointment, and the minimum the minimum job he was taking at that time was $350,000. See, uh, yeah, that stuff's crazy expensive, and, and like we'll be sitting there watching it. And like, How much do you think that one costs? I'm like, easily a half mil. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, yes, that has to be. I mean, you see the slides and the waterfall and like all of the like the dolphins that are swimming around in the pool. Like, I mean, it's yeah. It, it, well, listen, here's the thing. Here's another little bit of my guerrilla warfare from a marketing standpoint. I'm giving away a secret here. But if you were to go, number one, he's based about 45 minutes from where I live. Yeah. And so I always pay attention to where he's going because I want to know the people who have the money to buy these pools because they are business owners or CEOs. A lot of them come out of the tech space. So if you were, I'm just saying, if you had nothing better to do, if you were to take a list of the people that had been on insane pools and you looked at the people that I'm connected to on LinkedIn, there's a very strong possibility that there is uh, some overlap there because as soon as I see them on insane pools, I reach out to them and connect to them on LinkedIn and start to develop an online relationship with those people. See, that's hey, sweet pool. About. What's up with your insurance? <laughs> hey man, I saw you on insane pools. Uh, I just wanted to connect with you on LinkedIn instead of Facebook. So I have some level of professional credibility. Mind if I come over and check it out? I mean, no, I just, it's interesting, man, because I've actually had conversations with these people. I think one of the things that the people in our industry do that's a problem is they don't know how to slow play, right? They, 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 um, they do stuff like that and they don't respect, they don't respect the fact that these people have no clue who you are, right? It's easy to get an intro or a first meeting or whatever you want to call it or just a connection online with somebody. But if there's something that I would tell you I am good at, I'm really good at sitting back and understanding the cadence and the correct timing that I should be using to interact with people through through LinkedIn. And um, it, it's so abused by so many people, especially like if you want to get me going – Ask me to connect on LinkedIn, and then in, within 30 seconds of connecting, you send me a message that says, hello, David R., thank you for connecting with me, oh blah, 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 blah. I'm out. Like I will, I will unfriend you on LinkedIn literally within two minutes of accepting your request because that's just Bush League to me, man. That's, that's used car salesman, whatever you want to call it. it it's just bad. So, uh, but I think that there's, I think that's a good tool, man. I think that people don't understand that if you pay attention to your surroundings and you want to network with wealthy people or business owners or whatever else, the opportunity is in front of you every day. It's just a matter of perfecting the way you do that. No, I agree. I think you're great at that. What's kind of interesting in my standpoint is 
I don't enjoy that, right? Like um, I've really started taking a step back out of day to day. I just want to build. Like I, I don't. Um, if, if we had a very successful agency and nobody knew it was me, I, I don't really care. When it comes down to it, I just want to win. And winning's different for everybody, you know. And you're always competing against your best best self. But regardless, you don't. In my opinion, is if you're competitive, you you see someone else having success, and it doesn't it doesn't like grind you a little bit and bother you to me that's a part of being competitive and it doesn't mean i want to don't want other people to succeed or that but it's kind of like you know uh with basketball back in the day is yeah i wanted to be my best self but there was another point guard that was better at this school or that other school like that got at me right so if he was getting more love than me it's not that i'm worried about the fame but you just know as you improve and people talk about you, then that speaks to, to where you are. So I've kind of I think that's anybody's question. No, yeah, go I, ahead. Mean, uh, I was going to, I was going to go back to the acquisition thing. So if you've got something on that, then, then go well, ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I think anybody at all that's successful in this industry has to have that edge to them period. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, I, part of me likes the building piece of it and uh, in sitting back and doing that, but I'll be honest with you, man. I don't think there's ever going to come a day in my life that I don't like going out and killing. I I really just don't think that I will ever get out of that. I love going out even in the longer it takes me and the more strategic I have to be to get a deal done, the better I like it. I mean, that's the part of this industry that I like more than anything else is the fact that I can take nothing meet some I, I could I could pick a cup I, I could take all of the middle market companies in Tampa, put their names in a hat, pull one out, and I would want to see how long it would take me because in my mind it doesn't matter. If you exist, I'm coming for you. So let me take that. Let me figure out a way to strategically get in there. It might take me six months. It might take me three years, but I'm never going to quit until I win. And that to me is the best part about what we do is the fact that, that you can do that. You have the ability to do that. Literally everybody is your prospect. Right. Everybody. I feel like that mentality does come from sports though. I mean, like you were talking about Jeremy, I mean, m- most of the people that have that, you know, that, that drive to, to want to go out and not that you have to beat everybody else, but you have that constant competitive, you know, fuel burning within you. I think, that's common with everybody that grew up playing sports. Uh, at least that's my interpretation on it. But um, no. So my question was, um, it, you know, kind of two, a uh, two part deal. Uh, what have you learned from like the first acquisition that you made, you know, through where you are today? Like what's your biggest takeaway? And then the uh, second part of that would be what advice do you have for, um, you know, agency owners looking to kind of get into the acquisition game? Yeah. So I'd say probably the, the biggest thing I've learned is um, know, know your systems, right? And um, at least for me, I'll just say from my standpoint is the ones I'm looking at is, is um, I didn't know at first how long the transition would be. Right. And I had it in my mind is here's our systems. Here's what they don't have. Here's what we're going to bring in. But my timeline wasn't really, it wasn't realistic. Uh, well, I can't say it wasn't realistic. I just didn't know. And and we weren't as strategic about it, right? So um, that's probably the biggest thing I've learned is to really evaluate and ask all the questions beforehand 
of the setup of the agency. And we're talking about how, um, you know, the employees do their day-to-day systems, you know, basically it, it could be phone systems. It could be their, their um, management system. It could be all of that, but just finding out everything you, you need to know on how it operates daily. And um, that's probably, I'd say the biggest thing I've learned is realizing that you have to know what you're buying. Like if you go buy a house and it looks great and it's got good bones, you always hear, then you see these shows and they go in and they're, they're tearing down drywall and like, Oh, you got a water leak or, Oh, you got to replace the, the plumbing. You got to replace the electrical. Right. Um, I think any advice for people that are buying is, is what's your goal? Like I, I know specifically what we're trying to do. Right. I know our target market. I know like I, I'm trying to get to a certain, certain point. Um, and I think if you just want to acquire something to grow, that could be great. But what is the reason? Are you trying to hit, you know, increase your policies and force for your companies so you get a better payout? Um, are you trying to get bigger so you can, um, build a book and then bring on other appointments? You know, you have to know what you're trying to do, but just to buy, to buy, I think you have to be more strategic and have a better plan. But once again is. I don't hear a lot of people out there, at least, you know, we're a medium sized agency. We're not too big. We're not big. We're not small. So lots of times is, you know, I've gone up against bigger brokers. Um, but because I think a lot of times the agency owner feels like they're looking at themselves 30 years in the past or 20 years in the past. Um, I have a better, a better opportunity to make a quicker connection because they know I just want to take what they do. And build on it. So all their hard work, we appreciate it. We want to take what you've done and just see if we can we can make it better. Yeah, I think that I think that's good advice. Well, listen, man, you've been generous with your time. We're coming up on an hour. Um, I know for a fact, based on experience, people are going to want to talk to you. So, how do they find you? How they? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you if they want to pick your brain a little bit or ask some questions? Text my wife. Just kidding. <laughs> That's a, actually, that would be accurate in my world. So, uh, they can reach out to me on Facebook messenger. They can, um, email me. It doesn't really matter. Right. Um, always willing to, to talk to people. I think that's one thing I've learned this last year is for, for so long, I didn't branch out and meet and meet people. Right. And I realized that um, it's not because I didn't want to, it's just a lot of time, right? Like it takes time away from doing stuff, but I've, I've grown so much as an individual and as an agency owner just by making relationships that um, it's it's truly, you know, helped me in my business. Well, I can tell you this, man. Usually I struggle or not struggle, but I have to think through the artwork of the thumbnail for the episode after people have been on. You were one of the people who I've had that designed waiting to have you on. So I can't wait for the big reveal when that comes out. And uh, it's like a big smile. Some... What's that? You you knew it would come with a big smile. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to make you smile or whatever. But yeah, be re- be ready, man. It's coming. I've got it designed, and it is going to be epic. That's oh, all I'm going to tell. You. Love seeing those cups when people post them. They're so cool. absolutely. Well, listen, man. I got to bounce. I got to jump on a call. I appreciate you being on, and uh, we'll catch you soon. Thanks so much for your time today. All right. Appreciate it, guys. See you, David. See you, Kyle. Bye, brother. See you, man. Thanks.
You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.